this is Alex Moore, lead pastor of New Life Community Church in Kansas City, Missouri. Thanks for taking time to listen to this message. For more information or to donate, visit newlifekc.com. So today we're kicking off this new series called Waymaker, all right? And so we sung a song this morning called Waymaker, and we want to talk for the next few weeks about, as you can see over on the side, the miracles of Jesus. We're going to talk about how he is a miracle-working God. And so what is a waymaker? What would we say that that is? Well, it's someone who makes a way. What? Is that all you got, Pastor X? That's it. That's really good, right? He is a way maker, which means that when you're going through life, and it seems like life has hit a dead end for you, that the road doesn't go on anymore, that you're traveling through life and all of a sudden you come upon a bridge and the bridge is out and it doesn't seem like there's a way forward. Maybe you've done so many things wrong, you found yourself in darkness, and you're like, I don't know if I could ever be redeemed, and it seems like there's no way to move from where I'm at. Jesus is a way maker. And he makes a way where it appears that there is no way. No matter what your addiction, no matter what your struggle, no matter what you've done, there is a way that God can make out of that. And as I look across the room, man, I know so many of your stories. I know my Uncle Ed's story of having drug addiction. And God is a way maker. It didn't look like there's any hope. And he made a way. I look at Brad, who had an alcohol, man, alcoholic to a degree I've never even heard of. I didn't think there's any hope for the guy. He, 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 he was a mess. And God made a way. And so when we look in the Bible, we see time and time again that God is a way maker. Moses is leading the Israelites out of Egypt and they come upon a massive body of water, the Red Sea. Uh-oh. It doesn't look like there's a way forward. But our God is a way maker. And as Moses lifts his staff, the waters part. As God looks at the earth and everybody seems to be evil, everybody seems to be doing what's right in their own eyes and nobody seems to be doing what's right, God sees Noah and he makes a way for humanity to continue. Time and time again, when it seems that there's no way forward, when it seems like all hope is lost, our God is a way maker. And so the encouragement that you're going to hear over and over in this series is that no matter what your life situation is, no matter what it is that's heavy on you, I don't know if my marriage can become all that God wants. I'm so concerned about my kids. It seems like they're so far from God, they'll never turn to him. No matter what you're going through, our God is a way maker. And what's the song say? A miracle worker. He can bring a miracle. I don't know what God's going to do. He can bring a miracle. It's not in the natural. It doesn't seem like it's going to make sense. But supernaturally, he can change things. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper. Aren't you glad that God keeps his word? If he says he's going to do something, boy, he's going to do it. He isn't one of those people that says something and goes, ah, just kidding. (laughs) That's not God. If God says it, He'll do it. Way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, and a light in the darkness. I love that. A light in the darkness. Last night at this youth conference that we were at, they began to talk um, to students about how they are kind of like an unrefined diamond. That they're a masterpiece, but they have to go through a process of pressure to become all that God wants because that's how diamonds are formed. And so they uh, began to talk about what makes a diamond actually reflect light well. 
And I thought about having Susie coming up here because Susie's like our resident jeweler. <laughs> and so there's the four C's, right, of what a diamond is. Some of you guys know this if you're young or if you're single. Hey, take notes. This is kind of important, okay? Uh, because it's not just about the carrot, right? <laughs> Carrot's just the weight of it. Like, it's just how big the diamond is. But there's a few other things because just because it's big doesn't mean that it has good clarity, right? So there's degrees of clarity. And clarity is one of the C's. We had uh, the carrot. We had clarity. We have also uh, the color of it, right? What color? Is it yellow? Is it clear? What color are we leaning towards? And and clarity, clarity was about like the inclusions that are in it. Is that correct? I'm not the jeweler. I got to make sure she continues to nod and I'll keep moving. (laughs) And so there's certain imperfections, and sometimes you can see them, sometimes you can't, but, but no diamond is perfect. I don't know if you know this. There's an imperfection with every diamond. And so not only is there the carrot, we all are different sizes of diamonds, but then there's the color, there's the clarity, and then there's the cut. And the cut takes place by a master gem cutter and somebody who comes in and knows how to cut it just right because if you cut the diamond too shallow, then the light escapes out of the bottom of the diamond. If you cut it too deep, it bounces around and shoots out the sides of the diamond. But if you have an ideal cut, the light comes in and reflects back as it's supposed to. And I think some of you can put together how that relates to us as Christians, that we are to go through a process of pressure that actually forms us. It actually changes us. And we all have imperfections. None of us are perfect. It's part of who we are. And so the imperfections, yeah, sometimes we're all made different. There's certain things that we're not good at, but the color, that's influenced by outside influences. That's influenced by the air and nitrogen and different things that cause the color. And we have a responsibility to pay attention to what things are influencing us and what things are around us. But we have to each day put ourselves at the feet of Jesus and allow him to cut us so that his light can reflect through us back to the world. Now, how crazy is this? At the end of this night, last night, they invited everybody forward and they gave everybody a diamond in the whole place. That's the smallest diamond you've ever seen in your life. It's in here. But every kid there got to walk home with a diamond. And the reminder was for them to know that they are God's masterpiece. And although it's small, Although carrot size isn't much, it's a brilliant diamond, and it reflects light. Unlike anything else, it's cut right. It's been in the hands of someone who knows what they're doing, and that's what God wants to do in your life. He is a way maker. So no matter what you're going through, you're valuable. You're not worthless. No matter what labels people have put on you, no, 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 you have value. And God cares about you. And when it seems like there's no way forward, I want you to know God's a way maker and he will make a way forward. So here's what we're going to do each week in this series as we're kicking this off. We're going to look at a story of Jesus in the Bible making a way where there seemed to be no way. We're going to see him actually do some miracles. And I think that as we look at these stories, there's probably a little bit more that, to the story than meets the eye at first. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to read through the entire story, and then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to look at the story a second time. It's going to be real good. Now you know what we're doing. Are you all ready for this? 
All right, we're going to read God's word together. We're going to be in Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 26. You can follow along on the screen, or if you, you know, remember to charge your Bible, you can pull that out, and uh, you can follow along and highlight some stuff on there. Here we go, just reading it through in one fell swoop. One day, while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. It seemed that these men showed up from every village in all Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem. And the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. Some men carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat, they tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up onto the roof and took off some tiles. Then they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. But the Pharisees and teachers of religious law said to themselves, who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So, I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. And then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And immediately, As everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat, and went home praising God. And everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe. And they praised God, exclaiming, we have seen amazing things today. If you guys would, let's take a moment and pray. God, we thank you that we live in an era and a time in which these stories that these scriptures are so readily available to us. They're not locked away in a language we don't understand, but Lord, we live in a time that they've been translated into our language to where we understand what it says and that we can look at these stories to have a better understanding of you. And I pray that as we investigate this story today, God, that you would help us to recognize who you are and the plans that you have for our life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, I would assume that most of you in the room, if you've been here for any amount of time, know who my dad is. Uh, We may be the only church in Kansas City, and I say this, and it is funny, with a 74-year-old drummer. (laughs) Yep, Yep. as soon as he starts losing time and dragging back there, it's time to move along. (laughs) So my dad, my dad started the church. He's who was on the drums. He's sang that second song for us today. Um, a lot of you didn't even know my dad's first name was Jim or James until I became the pastor because he was just known as Pastor. That was like his first name. I don't know who he is. That's Pastor. What's his last name? Moore. It's Pastor Moore. What's his first name? Nobody knows, right? And so uh, my dad, uh, you know, is, is a bigger personality. A lot of times you guys know him, but what you don't know is you don't know a whole lot about my mom, right? Because my mom's quiet. My mom, you're not so sure what she's going to do. So I'm going to let you know a little bit about my mom, all right? Mom, this is, it's okay. I didn't get her permission, but it's okay. <laughs> my mom, I would say, really hates sin, which is a good thing, right? Because she has seen the devastation that sin has had in people's lives, 
and their marriages and how they live. Uh, she hated sin um, that she's had in her own life. She's hated sin that she's seen um, in her husband's life. She's hated sin that she's seen in her kids' lives. She hated sin that she's seen in people's lives in the church. And it breaks her heart and it almost makes her angry. I mean, she's ready to fight. I don't know if you know that my mom, she would fight you. Like she just, ah, oh, she's, she's fiery. She's from the hood. Like you don't know. Like she, she got a past, you know? And so thank goodness God redeemed her uh, before I was born. Um, but as much as my mom hates sin, I think that she equally hates clutter. No joke. My mom, I don't think owns anything that's sentimental to her except maybe her wedding ring. I don't know of one thing that she possesses that she's like, I'm gonna hang on to this because it means something to me. She is like out with the old, in with the new, nothing sentimental. I don't know of any pictures from her childhood, don't know what those are. She's probably like, they didn't take any of me. <laughs> uh, but, but there's no sentimental things that she hangs on to. There's no nostalgia. So growing up, when I would get a ribbon for running a good race, that ribbon, I don't know where it is now because there's no sentimental value, right? I had letters that colleges had written to me trying to recruit me to pay me money to come run for them. Those letters are no longer in existence. They are in a landfill somewhere because my mom saw clutter and was like, we're cleaning this up. But my dad, my dad's got a little sentimental thing in him. I don't know if any of you can relate. When, when my dad does something and it's significant, like at the church, we have these plaques that are made up. They're not on display, but we have plaques that are made up. They have people's names on them. They signify some important things. Like when we built the building or when the church began or when I became the pastor, there's, another, there's a new plaque. Like there's all these plaques. Um, recently, I'm trying to overhaul things in the church. And so I was like, hey, dad, we got to clean this room up. And I said, there's some things that need to go, like this 1991 bowling trophy from when the church was in a bowling league 30 years ago, and all the people that were on the bowling league, nobody cares. Why are we holding on to these trophies? And did you throw the trophy away, or did you take it home and hide it? Because I tried to look through the church and see if you just, like, misplaced it. So there's these things, and it's like, oh, but when I see it, it reminds me of something. It's like a memory, right? Like, there's a nostalgia. My dad, I think, is it a cigar box of stuff? So I don't know why my dad has a cigar box, but he has like these things from his dad. So there's like a broken watch in there that was his dad's watch. And there's these different things. And when he went to Romania, he has Romanian money in there. And, and so there's things that bring back a certain memory. They take him back to a certain point in time. And so I have a little bit of that nostalgic thing. And I find it interesting when we read this story that Jesus doesn't just command this paralyzed man to just get up and walk home with his healing. But he says, hey, get up and take your mat with you. And I find it interesting that he's having him hang on to this thing that if, you know, Jesus was like my mom, the mat is in the trash right now. Like it's not going with him home. Like it's probably nasty. It's probably stinky. It's probably time. Mattresses only last so many years. You've got to renew them. It wouldn't have been there. But I think Jesus might have been a little bit lower like my dad. And there might have been some nostalgic value to that mat. I think that there might be a reason that Jesus asked the man to take the mat home with him. So as we take a second look at our story, I, I think this, and this will be the takeaway for you, is that I wanted, I think Jesus wanted the man to walk away with more than healing, and, and really more than just his mat when he left the presence of Jesus. And I want to suggest that Jesus wanted the healed man to walk away with two things. So as we look at our text again, we're going to find the two things that I think that God wanted this man to walk away with that he also wants you to walk away with. 
So here we go, starting again in verse number 17. It just says that one day, just, it was an ordinary day, it was just one day, while Jesus was teaching, which was common, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting by. These were the haters. They weren't really excited about Jesus. But here's the crazy thing. It seemed that these men showed up from every village in all Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem. Like the word about Jesus had gotten out, and these guys were like, this ain't good. And so they had like a little team meeting, like all the people coming together. We got to figure out what to do with this Jesus character. We got to see if we can trap him, if we can stop him from, from leading people astray. And I find it interesting that you have these people who are super critical in the space. And I don't know if you've ever been around critical people, but they cause you sometimes to act different. When you have that other person that's in the scenario, you may all of a sudden you're watching what you say a little bit more. You act and maybe a little different because you know that they are looking at you. They are judging you. But it's interesting to me that Jesus was not intimidated in the least by these haters. He didn't act any differently because they were there. He didn't say, well, today we're going to roll it back. We're going to just take it easy. We're not going to teach as much. We're not going to say as much. We're not going to be as miracle giving. No, no, no. None of that. In fact, the next part of the verse says, it says, and the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus, which is a really interesting phrase. But, but there may be a lot to unpack here, but we can at least say this. Jesus didn't have to like conjure up the healing power. It wasn't like he had to pull over and like focus and get the healing power up. He didn't have to try to find it. It was with him. The Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. And we get to verse 18 where our, kind of our story begins. We got the setup now. But there were some men carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. Who were these men? Why were they carrying a paralyzed guy? What are they doing? Like, I don't think that was their daily routine. We're just, you know, hey, look at that guy. Wouldn't it be fun if we all picked him up? I don't think that was them. Like, could have been. Could have been a group of teenagers taking a guy for a joyride. This will be fun. I don't know what they were doing. We, we like to presume as we read the story that these were the man's friends, right? That there was some relationship that had probably been established. Otherwise, the paralyzed man, if you were paralyzed and on the ground and a group of guys came and picked you up, what would you be doing? You would be screaming. You would be hollering. Hey, put me down. He ain't doing that. He's just along for the ride. And can you imagine being paralyzed and having other people carry you? I don't know about you, but I would really struggle with that type of dependency upon other people. I would be the person to say, hey, don't, don't do that. I'll take care of myself. I'll figure out how to roll there. I'll figure out how to army crawl there. I'll figure out how to do something. I don't need your help. Thank you, but no thank you. Somehow or another, these men came, and where are they going to? They're going to Jesus, and they're bringing a paralyzed man. Obviously, the word about Jesus being a waymaker, a miracle-working God, had got out. And I think that if there were going to be any heroes in the story outside of Jesus, it's these men. Because without these men, there is no healing for their paralyzed friend. And so the question is for you, who are you bringing to Jesus? Who are you bringing that's broken in need of healing to the feet of Jesus so that Jesus can do what only Jesus can do? I mean, that is a good friend. That's the heroes of the story. We need to be like these men who are willing to go out of their way, put effort into helping someone else to meet Jesus. And so this paralyzed man, like he is allowing this whole thing to happen. And, and I think this is important to say, 
that it's not weakness to need one another. I would struggle if I was that man laying there, but it's not weakness to need one another. And I think the paralyzed man knew that, that if I am going to get to this miracle working Jesus, I can't do it on my own. And it's not weak of me to have some people help me. Man, we would all do better, swallow our pride and allow others to help. And so what they did when they got there is they tried to take him inside to Jesus because he's in this house, right? He's in there and he's teaching these people and there's so many people that they couldn't even get through. Like, can you imagine if you had the paralyzed dude, wouldn't you be like, hey, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me? That wasn't working. They weren't getting in the house. And even if they did, there wasn't enough space for them. And so these guys, because they couldn't reach Jesus, because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and started some deconstruction. They started taking some tiles off. And here's the crazy thing to me. Many scholars believe that this was the house of Peter. Now, I don't know if you know a whole lot about the disciples, but if you were to pick one disciple's house to deconstruct, it would not be Peter's house. Peter is a little bit of a loose cannon. At one point in time, he pulls a sword out and starts cutting people's ears off. Like he's a loose cannon. He, he's the one hopping out of the boat to walk on the water. So can you imagine if you are gonna be here and you are deconstructing Peter's house? I can just picture Peter standing next to Jesus. All of a sudden, there's some little dust crumbles coming down. And he says, Jesus, what the? And Jesus says, hey, 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 we're working on that. Language, language. It would have been much better if it was like John's house. I don't know if you know who the uh, disciple John is. John is, you know, the poetic kind of hippie of the bunch. You know, he's, he's the one like, laying his head on Jesus, you know. And if you took it down his roof, he'd probably be like, oh, look, I'll be able to see the stars tonight. <laughs> Not Peter. So, so they're deconstructing the house, which you know is causing a scene. Like you're interrupting Jesus from whatever he's doing. You know, have you ever tried to keep saying something like when there's an interruption and you know it's not working? Like I have that, like when I coach athletes, like I'm talking, but somebody else is talking and it makes me want to strangle them, you know, like, hey, I'm talking over here, you know? Um, and I'm wondering if Jesus had any of that, like as crumbles are coming down and, and next thing you know, there's a body being lowered. I don't even know what this looks like. Like, they didn't have time to rig up a pulley system. There's no hydraulics. This isn't safe. I don't know. What did they find for ropes? What do they even make ropes out of in this time? I don't know. But here comes the lame guy. And I don't know. Maybe the men were like, hey, it's all right. If we drop him, he's already paralyzed. You know? <laughs> What's the worst that can happen? So they're lowering him, the sick man, on his mat, down into the crowd. So can you imagine, like, all of a sudden, like, there's a person's body. It's like the first time body surfing took place. And they got him right in front of Jesus. Man, what, what a scene. You know Jesus had to stop and, like, look. Like, he didn't just keep talking until the body was here. Like, there had to be that moment of, hey, guys. Like, you know, there had to be more to it. But we find in our story that they lowered him down right in front of Jesus. And, and somehow or another, Jesus perceives their faith. It's interesting they didn't perceive the man's faith. He perceived the friend's faith, the people who brought him, the people who lowered him, the people who worked to get him in the front of him. He saw their faith. 
And because of their faith, Jesus said to the young man, young man, your sins are forgiven. Now, if I was the young man, I would be like, and? Um, yeah, yeah, boys, hoist me up. This is a total waste of time. Obviously, this man of God doesn't know what my problem is. If he knew what my problem is, he would have taken care of me, but he didn't. He's just saying, all right, your sins are forgiven. What does that even mean? I can't see my sins. I can't see what that means. I came here for a healing, and this guy's telling me my sins are forgiven. And I think Jesus, if, he, if this man had verbalized that, like, why did I even come to you? You don't even know what my problem is. I think Jesus would have said, no, no, my son, you don't know what your problem is. See, Jesus actually addressed the real need of the man, not just the felt need, not just what was consuming his thoughts and his time and his energy, not the thing that he had focused his whole life on maybe hoping to fix. That wasn't what Jesus was focused on. Jesus was focused on something more important. And I think if I was in that position and I didn't get this healing and I was in front of Jesus, I would have began to question if Jesus even cared about me and if he loved me. And the truth of the matter is, is that Jesus, by forgiving this man's sins, loved him more than he could even comprehend. It was beyond what he could even understand. Number one thing that I think Jesus wants this man to take, and I think he wants you to take away from your encounter with Jesus, is this. You have to take forgiveness with you. Sometimes we, we forget about forgiveness in the story. When we read through it the first time, it was like, that's kind of weird. But hey, he got prayed for and he got healed. And sometimes when we come to God, we so want God to meet our felt need. We want the new job. We want our kids to act right. We want to have uh, a better financial outcome. We want to have a better marriage. I want to be healthier. I want my body to work. I don't want to be sick anymore. I need God to help me and fix me and meet my needs. And oftentimes what we do is we miss the fact that Jesus has forgiven us of our sins, which let's be honest, is the real miracle. It's the real miracle. Years ago, uh, we all had a friend here, uh, Keith's here, and uh, man, we loved Julie. A lot of you guys knew Julie. Julie was a great friend, and uh, she passed away of cancer a few years ago. And what's interesting is, as she passed, and as we had this room packed with people that loved her and cared about her, and as we had a service, you know what people were talking about? They weren't talking about how God didn't provide physical healing for her. They're talking about the fact that she was forgiven and that she was in heaven. We were focused on the more important thing. See, when you're in the middle of it, man, you want God just to help you and fix you. But man, he's fixed the most important thing. And man, Julie, man, she's doing great now. She got a new body. She's feeling great. Man, I'm excited to see her again. Forgiveness this thing that Jesus is starting with is more important than anything physical he's going to do, no matter what he fixes in your life situationally. 
It's just a situation. There'll be another situation. He wants to fix something that's on a deeper level. And so I think I want to encourage you, don't leave forgiveness at the altar. If you've accepted Jesus, the most important thing is that forgiveness. And the more that you remember the miracle of forgiveness that God gave you, the more you'll be able to forgive other people in your life. If you forget what he's done for you, man, you're going to be bitter and angry at other people. But the more you can remember the miracle of forgiveness, the more you'll be forgiving of others. So I think the first thing Jesus wants us to take is he wants us to take forgiveness with us. Verse 21, but the Pharisees and the teachers, these, these haters, after he says, young man, your sins are forgiven, they said to themselves, they didn't make an announcement for the whole crowd, they said to themselves, like, yeah, who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Now, had this become a, an official accusation, blasphemy in the Jewish world was a really big deal because if you were guilty of blasphemy, you know what the consequence of that was? Death. Like they're gonna haul you outside the town, we're gonna find some rocks and that can be the end of you. Hmm. So they're thinking, that's blasphemy. Man, he's got a death sentence coming to him. But Jesus knew what they were thinking, which is really weird too. Like, he didn't know what they were saying among themselves. He knew what they were thinking. He knew what they were processing. He knew why they were there. He knew some intent on why they were even showing up in the first place. And he knew, hey, we're going to get him. We're gonna, this is going to be it. And he, he, he was so wise to be able to say, I know what they're thinking. So he, he asked them a question. I always find it interesting when God asks questions because normally he knows the answer. So if you feel like God's asking you a question, hey, prepare yourself. He's going to teach you something. So he asked these guys, he says, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? Now, if I was the paralytic, <laughs> I would say, uh, I think it's easier for you to say my sins were forgiven because like no one can see that, dude. I still can't walk. I think it's harder for you to make me walk. You know, I think I'd probably be trying to poke the bear. Like, come on, Jesus. But here's what Jesus says. He says, so I'm going to prove to you that the Son of Man, which is a title he just gave to himself, that's new, that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. In other words, I'm going to let you know that I actually am God. Because only God can forgive sins. You got that right, Pharisees. But I'm going to let you know I actually am God. So then Jesus, here's, here's what he's going to do to prove it. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and he said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. Wow. Everybody, I'm sure, was like, what's going to happen next? Like the whole room, they're holding their breath. Is he going to jump up? Is he going to get up? He never walked before. This boy's paralyzed. This ain't going to be pretty. He can take a couple steps, fall down. It's going to be like those, those animals that are quickly born and you see them trying to find their legs. But notice, this is where he says, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. Why is there a significance to this mat? Why don't we just leave that on the ground? Why don't we leave the old life behind? Why don't we leave anything that connected me to being a paralyzed cripple? Why don't we leave that behind and let me move into a new life? 
I've moved with my mom a few times. When you're going to move, boy, there's a purge that takes place in that house. We're getting rid of some stuff. This man's life is changing. There's a move. Why aren't we getting rid of the old stuff? I think it's because of this, and this would be number two today. Number one, God wants you to take forgiveness with you. But number two, he wants you to take your story with you. Can you imagine the story you would tell if you were this man? Oh, gosh, I was just laying there looking at the sky. I heard Jesus was coming. All of a sudden, I was up. I was being moved along. And next thing I know, I was at a height I'd never been before. We on top of a house. I said, don't drop me, boys. <laughs> and then they lowered me down. And I was looking in the eyes at Jesus. <laughs> like, it would be an incredible story. And I think that Jesus wanted this man to take the story with him. To where when you're walking around with a mat, you know what people are going to say? Hey, what are you doing with that mat? Well, let me tell you, I got a story. My, uh, my grandpa Sam, that's my mom's dad. I didn't have a whole lot of relationship with him, but I, I spent a little bit of time with him once. And uh, he kind of had some dementia. And so he was like a broken record player. And it was fun because he was happy. And so he would tell me this story. He'd be like, oh, man, I can remember back in World War II, I got shipped off in the Army, and I was going to Greenland. He said, I thought it was going to be green. And I remember looking out the window and saying, Sam, what did you get yourself into? And so five minutes would go by. He'd be like, hey, have I ever told you about when I was in World War II? I ended up going to Greenland. And as the plane was coming around, I looked out the window and I said to him, I said, Sam, what have you got yourself into? He did the story on repeat over and over and over again. Every time he told it, it was with excitement and emotion. And it wasn't ever like, have I told you this story before? Or, hey, you know, I looked out the window thought to myself. No, every time it had the same passion, the same excitement. I think God wants us to be on repeat just like that. My God is so good. You know what he did to me? I'm not tired of the story. It's not an old story. You should be telling your story so often that people are like, oh no, here he goes again. Here comes that story. Oh, don't. Oh, don't. Yep. Somebody, somebody asked about the mat again. Oh, well, I haven't told you about my mat. Let me tell you about my mat. Jesus commands him to take the mat. And I think part of it is, son, don't forget that you used to be down on the ground. You may be upright and walking and you may be living a new life. But I don't want you to forget where you came from. You're down on the ground. Oh, I never want to forget that. I never want to think I'm entitled to this life or I deserve something or that I'm cute and I must be special in God's eyes. No, no, I deserve to be down there. And let me tell you about how good my God is. Have you grown tired of the miracle God's done in your life? Have you outgrown the story? I hope not. I hope that it's fresh. I hope that there's some energy and excitement as you tell that story. Take your story with you. And let's tell our story wherever we go. People say, hey, what's that you're carrying? Oh, let me tell you. My favorite thing is when I'm with some of you and there's people that I know don't know your story, I'm like an instigator. I'm like trying to get you to tell your story. Oh, you haven't met my Uncle Ed? Do you wonder why he has a sling on his arm? Oh, come on, I'm trying. Come on, tell him your story. <laughs> tell him about how you had a stroke and God saved you. Come on, tell him. Tell him about your problems. Man, tell your story. And notice what happens in our story here, verse 25. This is so cool. He says, 
stand up, take your mat, and go home, boy. He says what? And immediately, not eventually, he didn't like struggle to get himself up. Boy, he just got on up. I know some of you all would struggle to get up off of the ground if I had you lay down. It would not be pretty. He'd be like, hang on a second. I got to roll up on my side, get my legs under me. He immediately pops up and everyone watched. The man jumped like he got air. He jumped up and he picked up his mat. Oh, he didn't just get up. He got whacked down. Look at that. And he went home praising God. Now, I don't know what that means, but that's awesome. I don't know if he's like, God's so good. He's so good. I don't know. But he was praising God the whole way home. It's like the little piggy went all the way home. He did it. He praised God the whole way home. And when it happened, everyone was gripped with great wonder, which meant they all went, ah, what? What? They were filled with great wonder and awe, and they began praising God. They didn't receive the miracle. God didn't make a way for them, but they witnessed it. Wow, we've seen amazing things today. Friends, you may suffer from physical afflictions that remain unhealed, but you can find hope and power in Christ's spiritual healing. Christ has power over sin and shame, and he will forgive you, and if you choose to accept him, as your king, you can have new life. We're not guaranteed that we'll get physical healing. In fact, we're all eventually going to die of something. He may sustain you temporarily. He may heal you for a season. But eventually, we're all going to have to meet him, and we ain't going in this body. So let's make sure that we allow his spiritual healing, the most important thing, to be what we go to God for. Jesus is a way maker. And you may feel lost and overlooked, but God wants you to know that you are found and that you are valued. Would you bow your heads and let me pray for you? Jesus, I thank you that you are a way maker. And no matter what our life may look like, no matter how down and out we may feel, we may feel as though we are just like that man on the ground, that life just seems to be beating us up, that I can't seem to get a break. But Lord, I pray that those who are here however they got here, whether it was the invitation of a friend, whether it was looking online and having a desire in their heart to attend a church, God, whatever brought them to this place, God, I pray that they would see you and that you, God, would show them that you are a way maker and you can take a path from wherever they are to your best. And so, God, today, I pray for those that need a spiritual healing, that they maybe have been asking you, God, to take care of some things situationally, physically in their life, but they know that their real need is spiritual. May today be the day of salvation for them in which they say, I'm not gonna do it on my own anymore. God, would you forgive me for trying to be a king in my own life? I'm gonna choose to do it your way. And Lord, will you sustain them? Will you give them what you want them to have in order for them to live this life as you would please? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For more information, please visit newlifekc.com.